Radio. All right. So in this interview, uh, I'll be talking to Jen Bucholtz again, who is, as you guys know, a member of the Case Breakers, but she's also a podcaster now. Her podcast is called Break the Case. So we are going to be talking about the case that she is currently covering, some of her traveling and what she's doing regarding that case. Also, we have an update regarding the Zodiac case, and we get a little bit of clarification on what they were talking about in the articles, talking about ballistics and and some of the ammunition and stuff like that that they found. So we do get a little bit of clarification on that. And we talk about the upcoming crime con a little bit. Um, yeah, that's about it. It's a pretty casual conversation, but it's also very informative. And I urge everybody to go check out her podcast called Break the Case. And check out the case that she is covering right now. They're doing a very good job. So, without further ado, on with the show. Jen, welcome back. How how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good, man. Thanks for having me back. It's, it's always a pleasure to come on your podcast and, and chat with you and swap ideas and everything. I love it. Oh, of course. I love it, too. And it's always great. I love being able to send. I know you're busy, so I always feel bad sending texts like, hey, what do you think about this? <laughs> no, don't ever feel nature. bad, please. That's what, hey, we're all in this like with the same end goals, so... <laughs> We need to brainstorm and pick each other's brains occasionally, so don't ever feel bad. Um, so yeah, I figure we talk a little bit about the Zodiac update, and then I would uh, love to hear how the uh, how your case that you're working on is going, and then kind of go from there. So um, you cool with that? Absolutely. So yeah, we had a big, big update in, in Zodiac yet again, and this time it was involving ballistics some of the ammunition and stuff found and I was listening to Tom Colbert's interview on YouTube and then I saw him on Fox News as well talking about Gary Post apparently handed out his guns before he like gave away some of his stuff before he died so I guess you guys are using that could you kind of elaborate on that a little bit for us sure so one of the um, biggest values we've gotten out of that press release from October 6th was that several people who knew Gary Post have come forward and contacted us and content of those conversations is confidential for now, but, and, and people's identities, we're obviously going to keep them anonymous. But one of the biggest values was we found out that Gary Post had, as you kind of said, like distributed some of his, I guess, yeah, ballistics related potential evidence to people in the local community. In particular, he had a neighbor who um, does, like metal art. And so he had given the neighbor like this huge canister of spent shell casings. And it sounds like when Gary Post would go off into the woods or whatever to do to fire his weapons or sight a man or whatever he's, you know, target shooting, whatever, he, I guess he would clean up his brass, as we call it in the army. He would um, pick up his shell casings <laughs> and keep them. And if he was Zodiac, that makes sense because you wouldn't want to leave shell casings laying around or they could be seized yeah. and compared but anyway <laughs> so he gave this person like this over a thousand spent shell casings from different weapons they're not all from the same weapon and so this person with the shell casings you know came to the case breakers after that press release and asked if we'd be interested in analyzing them and naturally yes absolutely we are 
you know, there's been a turnover, not just of that, but of, of other items from other people who need to repost. And we've collected, you know, several different things from people and done the best that we can to adhere to what would be a proper, you know, chain of custody and evidence collection process. And by that, I mean, when Tom went and collected all this stuff himself, you know, he was in gloves and mask and had parchment paper with him to put down so that if there's any trace evidence from any of these items, it would go into the parchment paper. And it was all, you know, these turnovers have all been videotaped. There's affidavits that have been witnessed by notaries. So not being law enforcement, we did the best we could to do a proper handover and adhere to the chain of custody. And so what we've done with some of these items is send them to various labs around the country. And I don't have any results from labs right now because it's, you know, the turnaround is a couple months, so we have to wait. But there are items that are being examined for Gary Post DNA. And then obviously shell casings and unspent rounds and gunpowder and stuff like that is going to be analyzed by ballistics experts. And once we have all those reports, you know, we'll present them to the appropriate law enforcement agencies in California and request that they do some comparison to evidence they have from Zodiac scenes. Pretty interesting. I'm glad that you uh, broke that down because when you read it in an article, they'll have like two or three blurb paragraphs and it's like, that really doesn't explain to me exactly what the hell's going on, you know? And, uh, I know, exactly. Some, some t- <laughs> they're not really the best because they don't know, you know what I mean? They're just reporting on some little news things that they found. or Because I've done in interviews with uh, media or whatever and articles or whatever, and it'll be a half an hour interview, and then they'll take two things, like two sentences that exactly. I'll say and put it in there. And it's like, where's the rest of it? You know, <laughs> what yep. the hell are we doing? That's the beauty of doing something in this format on a podcast is you can take as much time as you need to explain what's actually going yes. on. So um, you don't, you never get all of it from a news article. Exactly. And this is one of the, probably one of the last times I know Tom, he emailed me and was like, I'm doing as many interviews as I can because you guys are getting ready to go on a media blackout, right? That's correct. So after the initial press release, we had um, at least a dozen different TV stations or networks reach out to the case breakers, you know, wanting exclusive rights to do a documentary on Dale Julen's work. He's really the one who, you know, for seven years did all this research and compiled everything and wrote a book manuscript. And then he brought his work to us. So you know, most of this is credit to him, but, you know, they're very, all these networks are very interested in doing a documentary on how he came to these conclusions. And so anyways, it's, um, that's out of my wheelhouse. That's up to Tom, you know, what network he's going to sign with for us and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But that, that this contract, my understanding is due to be signed probably later this week. And once it's signed, we can no longer speak publicly about our work on the Zodiac case without permission from that network and i have yeah. a feeling they're not gonna give us much permission so <laughs> absolutely yeah not. we're trying no. <laughs> to put as much you know information that we're allowed to out there publicly before we go under that media blackout yeah now that's a good thing though and when i was on the phone with tom he he goes are you familiar with ndas and i told him about my whole john dillinger thing and i was like dude i was under an nda for six months I believe I was like I couldn't Mm -hmm. say anything about anything but I was like 
the second it didn't work out and it came in the NDA ran out, I was like, yeah, I just said everything. It was fine. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, nothing <laughs> worked out works. anyway, so it was fine. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how it works. So, I mean, also for your listeners, I mean, I think most of them know, but like you are an official member of the Case Breakers with us now. So <laughs> I'm like so excited to have you as an investigative partner. I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty, I'm pretty pumped. And, you know, when you sent me that text, I mean, my, I had a one word answer and, uh, like absolutely like let's do it and yep <laughs> yeah tom tom was like when i talked to him and he's like well i wanted to call you sooner but and i'm like dude it was the thanksgiving holiday like it's fine mm-hmm. i didn't i didn't expect anything but i was still really happy and then it was nice because we just he filled me in on a lot of the stuff that the case breakers are working on and some ideas that he had he's you know my location and stuff that he thought I might be interested in or good at. And I, and I told him, I said, you realize I'm the only person without like any credentials whatsoever. And he goes, that doesn't matter, man. No, <laughs> it doesn't matter it doesn't. to me. It's more about the passion and the, you know, the drive and the willingness to devote some time to help some of these victims and their families. And that's obviously exactly what you do through your podcast. And then I think we'll get into like the investigation that you're working on, but I mean, that's that's all we need, you know. But yeah, I mean, we want, like, any good investigation should have opposing viewpoints, you know, and debate. Because, like you said, I mean, as you absolutely know, you can't have tunnel vision. I mean, we saw, I hate, I keep going back to the Rebecca Gould case where that investigator who was assigned for 15 years was convinced a guy named Chris killed her and would not entertain any other scenarios. And look what happened. He was 100% wrong. So it's just another example of how confirmation bias absolutely does not work. And you need to look at every piece of evidence and every piece of information brought to you as an investigator. And you're really good at doing that. I appreciate that. And um, so on that note, you've actually been working on a case and your podcast is now up and Mm -hmm. running. And how are you liking that life so far? It's been such a learning curve. In terms of the podcast production, I mean, I had an idea of what went into it, but oh my gosh, it is it is so much work, but I really enjoy it, actually. Like, now that I have the hang of how the script should flow, and of course, like, I'm mm-hmm. super lucky that we have a fantastic sound engineer, is his title, I believe, that helps with cuts and edits and puts in background music, you know, he's amazing. So it's actually been a really enjoyable experience. I feel like I've learned so much. But it is it's a ton of work. I mean, I, I'm talking to the, you know, I'm preaching to the choir here, but, but yeah, so it's called Break the Case and it's technically produced by American Military University where I teach. They were really awesome because they rebranded one of their podcast channels just for us. So the first season technically is on the Rebecca Gould case. We had recorded podcast episodes about her case. Um, a couple years ago. And so we're just going to transfer those over to the podcast channel when we have time. And then actually I have some content, some new content from this summer when I was in Arkansas that we're going to put together into a couple more episodes, but we just haven't had time. But anyway, so season two is the current case that George Jared and I are working, which is the unsolved murder of Debbie Williamson out of Lubbock, Texas. And we're, let's see, this Friday, episode number five will come out. And we've got at least a couple more 
planned after that. So I feel like we've got a full season. And it also depends on the investigation goes. <laughs> but um Yeah, exactly. Hopefully there's some mm-hmm. this can spawn some kind of break or at least more information to come forward. Indeed. I mean, we've been so pleasantly surprised with how many people have come forward that knew Debbie or her husband Doug at the time of her murder and provided us information that's been incredible. And of course we pass everything on to the Lubbock PD and they've been really great too. I mean, it was a little bit of a slow start. It felt like after we met with them, but now they, <laughs> they did team up with their, the Texas state level cold case and missing persons unit. And that's run through the attorney general's office. So um, now nice. they've got additional investigators at the state level, helping them in terms of, you know, compiling all of the evidence in the case and, um, they've been in touch with several DNA labs to figure out which is the most appropriate one to use to have her evidence retested. And I know that they're working on a re-interview plan, I guess you could say, figuring out which witnesses they're going to re-interview and in what order. And, and so, I mean, they're, they're working it. And you know, it's all we can ask for. So they've been really great. <laughs> Now that in itself is a huge thing though, is for them to being proactive about it. Yeah, for sure. And they they communicate really well. You know, anytime I send an email, I get a response very quickly. So they're, they're good at sharing information. And I think later this week, I'm going to have an awesome announcement that will be at CrimeCon at the end of April on podcast row. I will be confirming (laughs) that tomorrow, but that's our latest development, which, of course, we're really excited about because for those who have been to CrimeCon, you know how much extra coverage it provides and how many people you connect with. And it's just such a great opportunity to spread the word about whatever cases you're working on. And you'll be there, I think, right? <laughs> yeah, I'll be there. I'll Good. be there for sure. Uh, I skipped last year. Last year was the only one I haven't really gone to. And I think it was just I had too much stuff going on. and bad timing i guess for sure. last year and sure. i don't know and i i hated not going because i knew you were going to be there and there were a couple other people that i was really looking forward to meeting and it's like i'm sorry i gotta let her let you down you know because i was like i was like me and jen are gonna have a freaking beer you know and hang <laughs> yeah. out and uh yeah sure. <laughs> and uh you know i guess we're gonna have to make up this year and yeah yeah I'm, sure. I'm definitely gonna go a couple extra days yeah, we are yeah, too. To Vegas, yep. I like Vegas. I think we're gonna have an extra day on the front and the back end, so that'll be some awesome, some good time, you know. But yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to meeting in person and and so many other people too. Yeah. so it's such a great experience. And you said George is going as well. That's his plan. Yeah, and um, good. He better be there. The case we're working on of Debbie Williamson, her sister Liz, already has tickets, so she'll be there with us and. Assuming we get a table on podcast row, she's going to be there some of the time with us. So listeners of the podcast or people following the case can come meet Debbie's actual family members. And it's actually because of CrimeCon that we know Liz. I mean, that's how we met her this year and how we got started on oh. Debbie's case. So like interesting. another, yeah, another really positive outcome to this conference. Yeah, definitely. And it's good to, it's good to find people to network with too. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm pretty choosy about which podcasts i work with i like to look at the seriousness of their work because you know if somebody's over here giggling and trying to crack jokes and shit it's yeah. like nah, you know we're probably not going to be a good fit you know yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, I don't yeah, mind listening about, to some of those, but it's got. not my style. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, I didn't realize that uh, that's how you got started on, on Debbie's mm-hmm. case. That's interesting. Yeah, her sister was at CrimeCon this year and actually on Podcast Row, we just happened to be down there and ran, you know, ended up chatting with her and and got to hear about Debbie's case. And then we, you know, once we got home and everything got more settled, me and George got on the phone with Liz and we talked for like an entire afternoon about the case. And it was just like, this is the next one. I don't know what it was. It was just like, okay, this is our next one. (laughs) And so we've been going at it ever since. And that's what I was going to ask. What was it about that case that drew you drew you into it? Just the details or the circumstances? Yeah, one aspect, like something that drew me to Rebecca's case was the behaviors that the killer took, or the actions, I should say, the killer took in the aftermath of the crime, meaning Rebecca's body was moved to a secondary location. Someone tried to clean the scene. Well, in Debbie's case, we don't have the same actions, but we have some that are just as intriguing, which is that her her body was dragged from a very dark location on her property where she was killed to the most well-lit location on her property. And then she was partially disrobed and left under a light, you know, with her genitals exposed. And Mm -hmm. I think, especially back, you know, like in 1975 when Debbie was killed, I mean, you know, behavioral analysis wasn't much of a thing for investigators. It's not their fault. It just, it just wasn't something they really thought about yet. And so I think that those actions were kind of overlooked or the significance of them was never really examined. And that's always something that catches my attention is like, if a killer stays on scene any longer than necessary, it gives us insight into their conscious and subconscious thinking. So, because most people will just, most killers will just grab the weapon and run. Like there's no reason for them to stick Mm -hmm. around. So when somebody stays there, at an immense risk to themselves to take some of these actions it always catches my attention because there's always a reason that the killer did that. And so that was one thing that really... Do you think that's something more of a personal? Yeah. Not even, I shouldn't say personal, but like somebody really, really did not like that woman. I think someone was extremely angry at her. Yeah. Her murder was not well planned out. If it had been well-planned, you know, they would have found an easier way to murder her than stabbing her 17 times. That's not easy to do. So I think it, I think there was a little bit of planning, but not much. And I think a knife um, was just the most readily available weapon for them to use, which, again, doesn't show a lot of premeditation. But I am 100% convinced now that Debbie knew her killer and knew them well. And it's not just because of the murder itself, but... The person, the killer had to know the layout of her property, the layout of the backyard, and what door she would use to come out of. Because the most logical door for her to exit from to get to her car would be the door in her carport. But what a stranger to the home would not have known is that there was a huge china cabinet on the inside of that door, inside the house. So the door was not usable. So this person had to know her habit in terms of which door she exited out of because it's not the most logical one. And then I think just like that property is so dark at night, even now. So George and I were there August 24th of this year, which is the anniversary of her murder. Even now, it is pitch black in that backyard. I mean, from the street, you cannot see through the carport into the backyard. You have no idea what you're getting into. And so again, that just tells me this killer had been to the house before, had been there at night and knew the layout. And again, what door Debbie was going to come out of. 
So that alone right there tells us it's got to be someone who she and her husband knew who'd been to the house. Interesting. Yeah. I'm covering this case called John or by the name of Jonathan Luna, and he was a lawyer from Maryland. This guy was uh, stabbed 37 times and then ended up drowning, and they ruled it a suicide. What? <laughs> Shit, you not? Are you kidding me? Yeah, I I swear to God. And they were like, "Well, the knife wounds weren't uh, weren't deep enough, so they called them hesitation wounds." And then supposedly after he stabbed himself all them times, he uh, threw himself into the, you know, like a river and, and drowned himself. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, you know. And he, he here's the deal. He was working on a big drug case. He was a lawyer. So it's Motive. the craziest <laughs> shit. And it, when, you, when you were talking about that, I was like, that's. Nah, but the fact it's still ruled a suicide is crazy. Yeah, I don't understand that. And I don't know the location of your victim stab wounds but like on debbie she a lot of she had several in her upper back but they didn't hardly penetrate because the knife hit her ribs so i don't know if that could look like a hesitation mark or if they might have interpreted it some like that but that is a reason that some stab wounds aren't don't end up being like i don't know they don't penetrate very deep into the body though his were all mainly in his chest and then I think his throat was cut as well. I was like, what What the fuck is going on over here? And <laughs> it's love to find another suicide like, <laughs> that matches yeah. up with that. I don't think you're going to find that, no. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It was a really weird scenario, and I was blown away. And I, I say, oh, I got to cover this one. It's, for sure. It's just too much weird shit out there. Not to mention the golden rule is you consider every suspicious death a homicide until you can prove otherwise. Yeah, for sure. That's kind of what prove, I always thought. Yeah, I don't know how you prove suicide over homicide in that case. That's that's why um, when I texted you after I talked to Tom, that was one of the some of the things he was saying really hit with me because he's like, "Listen, you know, we have quarter million unsolved cases." He goes, "Cops ain't gonna do this all themselves. Cold they cases can't. are on the back burner." Mm-hmm. And he goes, "We need help." You know, he goes, "Whether they want our help or not, you know, that's up to them." Actually, speaking on on that, that was another question I was going to ask. Has there been any improvements with communication involving any of the Zodiac stuff with the departments involved? No, not at all. Jeez, um, I know. Even Vallejo PD in San Francisco have gone totally silent. So they're probably like, I don't know. I'm sure they're all talking together along with Riverside PD behind the scenes about just, just ignore anything that from the case breakers. But there'll come a point, you know, especially with like the ballistics and DNA stuff we're working on at our own cost, by the way, out of our own pockets. And when I say pockets, I mean our own personal bank accounts, our funding, yeah, all this testing right now. Thank you to law enforcement for incurring those fees on us. But anyways, <laughs> I'll get off the soapbox on that one, but, um, no, Charles, I agree. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, Anyways, uh, they, yeah, I think they've like circled the wagons or whatever analogy you want to use, kind of on their own. But there's going to come a point where something, something solid is going to break and they're not going to be able to ignore it because we'll just keep yeah. going public. And there comes a point where enough of the public knows what's going on, the media, everything else, to where they're going to have to respond. So, yeah, you know, like I said earlier, this is not a competition. We're just after answers at this point. And if it ends up Gary Pace is not the guy, then okay, he's not the guy. That's fine. It's still a huge answer. And every answer yeah. propels you forward in a case. 
so that's all we're after at this point. So, I mean, I would love to just put this to bed, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know you're about over it, aren't you? Because <laughs> I, mean, I, 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 I keep reiterating. <laughs> well, I keep reiterating to some people because I'll share, you know, some information and they're just nobody in particular. But it's just people are so sure that he's not the guy. And it's like, how do you know? Like, how do you know it is? You have no viable argument at this point based on the information you have, because you right. have probably less than 10% of the information that's been yeah. out there or available. So, yeah. like, how good of an argument are you going to have against him being the guy? I strongly believe once Dale's manuscript is published that, I mean, I hope people will read it objectively. And I don't want to say like the people will change their minds. That's not exactly what we're trying to do, but I hope that they'll at least understand why we've come to the conclusions we have about Gary Post, because then they'll get all of the background. <laughs> you know, a yeah. lot of this, like I said, it's Dale's work. I mean, he, he's, he's the majority on this. It's really not us. And he deserves to tell that story, not us. And so that's, that's the reason yeah. we chose not to publicize a lot of his, his work. But, sure. you know, obviously we have to publicize some things just to try to get some traction. Like once readers start reading his manuscript and understanding like how he decoded so many of those taunting letters that were anagrams and getting directions to an evidence site and things like, you know, when you decode it, one of them says something like, Donna Lass's murder was for fun and Paul Stein's was business. I mean, how else do you explain that? I'm sorry. I mean, I don't know how you can explain those things away. It all falls in place. But that's a little ways down the road. Yeah, definitely. And um, he'll be able to start talking for himself here soon enough, won't he? Yeah. So Dale is set to retire the end of the year from uh, full-time newscasting. But the problem is we'll be under that media blackout. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. (laughs) I know. I know. Um, (laughs) So we probably won't get to hear from Dale too much. But... People will be able to put, I mean, people that don't, haven't seen him on TV yet, but you'll be able to put a face with his name because my understanding is he's going to be one of the hosts of the Case Breakers YouTube channel. And so he'll be doing, I mean, you'll probably record with him, I hope, you know, and he'll kind of be like uh, the narrator or the interviewer for when we record videos for the Case Breakers channel discussing that the cases that we're working on, so... Um, he'll be out there a little bit (laughs) and I'm really excited about that. No, that is awesome. And I think, I think that'll be good exposure for the cases because Mm -hmm. one thing I don't think people understand about the case breakers is, yeah, we have like, I think those four or five huge major famous Mm -hmm. cases, but behind the scenes, everybody's also working on way more unknown smaller cases and people don't realize that and that's guy i kind of like that and that's how tom he's like listen we've been behind the scenes doing this for a long time Mm -hmm. but sometimes in order to get some traction and get some attention on the smaller cases you got to give some attention to the bigger ones as well yeah you can't disagree with that i mean the case makers really hasn't gone after these huge cases what happens is like people read about tom's work on the db cooper stuff which was years in the making. And then they're like, oh, this guy is serious about what he does and reputable and has a lot of connections. I have a tip, you know, about the Atlanta child murder. So I'm going to take it to him. And he didn't go searching for these. 
And like you said, there's many more cases being worked that are basically unknown. And, and that really is what our focus is hoping to shift to, yes. at least mine, because I don't, it's not that I don't want answers in Zodiac or Atlanta or D.B. Cooper or whatever, but it's, it's for me, it's just been so overdone. And I am much more interested yeah. in work, working a case that has had no visibility where we can just go forward with our investigation without like, I don't, I don't even know how to word it correctly, but having hundreds of other people <laughs> who have already looked at it, it's like, that's just not worthwhile to me. So. Oh, exactly. Every victim deserves justice. Absolutely. Zodiac victims, all of them, of course. But I, me and George much prefer to work on just a smaller unknown case. And yeah, go from definitely. There, so. And I think like you, you and your team are kind of doing a similar thing to us. So with the Sweet Hannah Project team, same with you. We're concentrating on the first six that we know are connected. Then we're moving mm-hmm. on to the an extra six that authorities believe are connected, but we're in other states. But the girls are mm-hmm. still from the same town, worked the same road, knew the same people. And then, like I had told you before recording, we got a big kind of a big break last week where one of the missing women that we were going to cover actually got identified as one of the Jane Doe's we were going to cover. So, I mean, it took 16 years, but she finally has a name and there is the woman had family. So we're still wondering how she got out there, what happened because she didn't get out there herself you know, she was uh, buried there for a couple of years before they found a farmer wow. found her remains. But mm-hmm. what people don't realize is she was found about a quarter mile from one of our main six victims. Okay. So there's just so much, so much body dump MO. And I mean, our next two episodes directly are the two women were dumped less than three miles apart. And one of them was dumped on a... Uh, Oklahoma State investigators property. Oh my so, gosh, uh, really? Know, yeah, we kind yeah, we kind of uh cuz I was curious. I was like, is that you know, do you think somebody in, you know, in law enforcement speculation wise, but do you think somebody from law enforcement was involved and I think we all agree it was kind of just like a like a big fuck you, you know, like you're not going to find me type of thing and they, they were two years apart. And you think that location, the pickup location was purposeful? I think so, yeah. Wow. I really do, That's... because he was he was the guy who was in the papers actively investigating these murders wow. at God. that time. Yeah, and they found one of the bodies on his property and then found the next body two years later, like three miles away. It's wow. like, what the hell's going on? Yeah, yeah. a lot of crazy That's stuff going on. There. <laughs> I can't wait for I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Do you have contact with some of these victims' family members? We've tried reaching out to a couple of them uh, because it's been, you know, 20 years, right around yeah. 20 years for most of them. Uh, it's, it's hard reaching out. We've tried reaching out. And, you know, to no avail, uh, but we've been lucky enough. We've had a few people contact us anonymously and, you know, give us little tidbits of information, uh-huh. which we appreciate anything we can get, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah. but, um, uh, I know one of our victims' moms is still very, very active on social media and 
is constantly talking about the case. So we're hoping she's going to be the one that, you know, we can actually sit down and talk to. But if not, mm-hmm. we respect that, you know, and we sure. we try to cover each case with just facts. Here's what happened. And then, you know, towards the end, we do kind of speculate a, a little bit because we have so many different plausible theories and avenues that we can go down. So, you know, we kind of toss that stuff around a little bit, but, you know, it's just, yeah. I, f- I feel you, Jen. It's a headache. It's a lot of shit going on. Yeah. It's like, it's a lot to keep straight in <laughs> so your brain. Much. It really is. I know. It really is, you know? Yeah. Cause but I got asked a right question approach. about it the other day. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I mi- mixed up the dates. I was talking to somebody about it and I mixed up the dates on like two of the victims and they're like, come on, man. And I'm like, what do you want me to do? There's like 12 of them. You know, yeah. like I'm trying my best here. Oh, like yeah. I have to reference my notes sometimes, like for God's sakes. Yeah. yeah. I can't even name all the dates on the Zodiac victims, so don't feel bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah. And that's the one thing, too, I, th- I think people don't realize. And I reiterate to people just because, you know, I know you and I know how the casebreaker system kind of works, but you guys are wanting to solve unsolved cases. Like you were handed the information about Gary post, but at the end of the day, if one of the unsolved cases was brought to you without the Zodiac information, you'd be showing the same interest in solving it. Absolutely. Whether Gary post is Zodiac or not, you could mm-hmm. actually solve, you know, an unsolved murder. Absolutely. I don't think people yes. realize that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, the notoriety or the, you know, how infamous the case is does not matter to us. That's not the point here. It's just getting answers for the victims, you know. And, yeah. and really, quite frankly, a community. I mean, the whole San Francisco Bay Area was terrorized for years. Mm-hmm. The community as a whole deserves some answers. It doesn't matter if the guy's dead or... And, and, you know, obviously most of the victims he succeeded in killing. But there's still, I think Tom said, at least 20 victims' family members who are still alive. So... They deserve answers, too, and that's, that's all that we're after. But there's certain people with who we know that want to make it into some big competition. So, yeah, so that's their problem, not mine. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm really hoping, like, at least something will get pressured enough to where law enforcement finally says, hey, okay, finally, we can say something. We're just going to come out and say this, that, or the other because mm-hmm. everything they've come out and said is, like, total trash and – they won't confirm nor deny because a certain part of me makes me think like they couldn't solve it for what, 60 years, 50 years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have all these people come in and who are trying to, and they're just like, no, right. (laughs) You're wrong. (laughs) There's definitely some ego involved. And, you know, I, I understand to a point where like you have a super famous or infamous, serial killer case that's never been solved you really as law enforcement probably don't want quote unquote a bunch of civilians even though we're more than that but coming in and figuring it out but it's like again it goes back to getting answers and what why is there any ego involved at this point like nobody's work but law enforcement's not working the zodiac case actively we know that i mean they've said that it's just too old there's too many new murders fine what's the problem with some outsiders working it then. I mean, they're still the ones in the end who do a press conference, who make the announcement, you know, whatever it may be, it's not us. So, I, yeah, I, yeah, this this is, again, is like 
I don't know how to do it, but I'm hoping over time we can affect some change in that area with law enforcement across the country to where they'll they'll accept some outside help from skilled people because they need it. I mean, like you said, I mean, now we're up to 269,000 unsolved murders. You just can't tackle it. Law enforcement just doesn't have the manpower. It's not their fault. Absolutely not. Yeah, for sure. So we'll see. (laughs) Well, that's why I was happy to hear that law enforcement's taken Debbie's case seriously Mm -hmm. and actually, you know, being proactive about it. I think that is awesome. I I mean, it was so refreshing, you know, and, and we always make it clear, like, we're not here to step on your toes. We're not here to like criticize the work that was done or not done. However many years ago, that's not the point here. And even, you know, the supervisor over the homicide unit that we met with in her case, I mean, he even said to me directly, he's like, you can do things that I can't do. And I just love that he recognized that. For instance, a lot of people aren't comfortable going into a police station and talking to somebody in a uniform and potentially being given the Miranda warning. You know, it just um, scares is the wrong word, but like makes a lot of people nervous. It's a deterrent. It's yeah. super easy to talk to me and George. Like, we are very exactly. and personable, and we're trustworthy. We keep everything confidential. And then we found over you know last couple of years that a lot of people were just more comfortable with that. And I don't have to give anybody the Miranda warning, you know. So that we do have some avenues that we can use that traditional law enforcement just can't. So what's wrong with going hand in hand, you know, and just complimenting each other on our work? So. Yeah, part of what we're after, and so Absolutely. yeah, it was it was so refreshing for him to just say that and to recognize that immediately, and just to be willing to accept. He's like, I will read every email you send me, and I will, you know, essentially follow every tip that comes in, and that's obviously what you want to hear. So, and assuming that yeah. at some point they're going to make an arrest of Debbie's killer, I mean, just such a, such a great example of how we can come together and help each other, you know, without jeopardizing yeah. the case. I couldn't agree more, and it's like we keep saying, you know, it's it's all about getting the cases solved. It really shouldn't be about mm-hmm. anything else, and we've ran into that problem with the Lawton cases as well. It's there's certain instances where it's it's a piss and match, and it's like, listen, man, I understand it's different jurisdictions, and they don't work well to each other, with each other, and it's almost impossible to get information back and forth through them because they just don't work well with each other and here recently there was a new sheriff so that has improved but at the same time whether they've improved that relationship between jurisdictions now holds absolutely no bearing on the past 20 years so i mean it still still hurts back then yeah and again what's what's the problem with collaborating exactly just between law enforcement, I'm not even talking about us and them. I'm just talking about their own agencies. Yeah. What is the issue? Yeah, I always go back to, and I know you say it too, like if it was their daughter who was slaughtered and dumped on the side of the road, like I think they'd act a little differently. I might be wrong, but exactly. I don't think so. <laughs> and I don't, I'm pretty sure I'm, I would think so. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, so I just don't understand why, especially as trained law enforcement officers, they can't kind of put themselves in that position because surely they come in contact obviously with victims and victims family members i mean i don't even have a kid and i think about oh my gosh my friend's child was kidnapped or killed or whatever oh you know how horrific it would be just to me yeah again i'm on the soapbox i couldn't agree more (laughs) 
no, you're fine. Like I agree with you. You're you're good to go. <laughs> so um, why don't you tell everybody where they can listen to your podcast? And do you know what you're going to be working on next season yet? Are you trying to trying to figure that out? I still? don't. Not yet. I mean, obviously, we hope for an arrest in the near future in Debbie's case. And then we'll have to see what happens from there, you know, and then I, but I expect that me and George are just going to keep doing this one case at a time. So we'll find another one to work on, but I don't want to get ahead of myself because we obviously can't predict the future on this one. But um, anyways, it's called Break the Case and you can find it on almost every podcast platform, Google, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. And, um, Again, it's produced by American Military University, so you can Google their name, too, and you'll find it. You can also join, listeners can join our Facebook group that me and George run for the case, and that's called oh, nice. called Unsolved Murder of Deborah Sue Williamson. Um, we love having people engage in discussion and brainstorming and talking about all these little details and what do they mean. So please, um, if you're interested in that, like we urge you to join the, the group and give us your thoughts, you know, and you don't want to put them out publicly you can always just private message near george so i mean we answer all our messages i don't let any go unanswered so you can do that and um i think oh and then the case breakers you can check out our website which is the casebreakers.org has all kinds of information on the cases we're working recent press releases i think actually i know at least one of your justin your podcast episodes is on there when we talked about zodiac And, um, but there's also some other coverage, like, um, coverage for Debbie's case and Rebecca's case. And, and, and I know in the near future, there'll be some covering your work. So yeah, um, it's not just these big cases like Zodiac that are on there. There's a lot more information and you can read all our bios and if you want, you can even donate to help us with all these DNA and ballistics labs (laughs) costs that we're incurring. (laughs) Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah, Volunteer work, you know, gotta love it. Yep. You got it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I love when people are like, you're just in this for the money. I'm like, well, I am very far in the red and I expect to stay there for quite a while, <laughs> if not forever. So oh my <laughs> definitely God. not about money. But yeah, so those, Absolutely those are the main places people can go to find out more and to help us. So, and again, like if you're interested in the case breakers and you're interested in volunteering there's a link on the website where you can send us an email and just give us some background on yourself and why you know why you'd like to volunteer and we'll get back to you and we also take emails about like if you have a case that you want investigated or you need help with a case you can put in an inquiry about that too and we read all of those and um, try to reach back out to everybody that requests help so hell yeah a couple extra things there that people can do no that's outstanding Jen, I know you're busy, so thank you for taking the time to come on again. And Absolutely. Always got time. Talk to us, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you having me. It was a pleasure, and I know we're well, going to be talking a lot in the future. So I'm excited. Oh, most definitely. <laughs> most definitely. So um, have a good rest of your day out there, and Absolutely. try to take a break every now and then, Jen. All right? I'll try. Try to take a break we'll take every a break now. Okay. Time to all, the beer. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that'll work right there. <laughs> All right. right, I will talk to you later. Thank you, sir. Take care. Thank you. Bye.